All right, guys, you are locked on Falcons. I'm your host, Aaron Freeman. Today, I am doing a little bit of a Q&A and also giving you my thoughts and my picks for who's going to win in this weekend's divisional round playoffs. You are locked on Falcons, your daily Atlanta Falcons podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. All right, guys, I'm Aaron Freeman. I've been covering the Falcons for many years at FalFans.com, on Twitter at FalFans, and of course, I host this illustrious Locked On Falcons podcast. Today, we are doing a little bit of a Q&A. There's a couple of questions in the mailbags, as it were, to wrap up the end of this week. And also, I'm going to talk about these divisional round playoffs. I know I talked about on, what, Wednesday's episode about having somebody on uh, to talk Bucks and, and sort of get more into Dirk Cutter's offense, which we that will come up next week, just scheduling issues didn't allow for it to necessarily happen this week, but I promise you we will have some great guests lined up for next week's episode to, to do more uh, in-depth investigation of Dirk Cutter as well as the Falcons in general moving forward. So that is something that we will talk about later next week. Um, there's a couple of questions that listeners sent in on Twitter. I know some other people sent in some other questions specifically dealing with sort of my thoughts on watching the film of the Buccaneers offense the last couple of seasons. I haven't got around to doing that. I'm going to do that over the weekend so I at least can be better informed for next week's podcast. And, um, you know, so those questions won't be answered. Um, and I also want to, you know, give my thoughts on this weekend's games. I, I really do think the divisional round of the postseason season is when things really start to get into gear. Uh, the first round's great, but, uh, you know, it's really the second round where, you know, the, the best teams are playing the one and the two seeds after the bye week. And then typically the teams that win that first round of the playoffs typically are a cut above, obviously, the teams that lost. So you're getting potentially the best football that you could potentially see uh, throughout the entire season, potentially this weekend. So we're going to talk about my thoughts on those games. And because this episode is also sponsored by my bookie. You know, the little bit of betting tips. I've lost a lot of money <laughs> betting money this year. <laughs> so you, you may take my advice and be like, do the opposite of what Aaron's going to do. But I've done a, probably a little bit more research than I have in some of these weeks where I've, I've bet and lost money. You know, it's just a little too much going on gut um, with some of this stuff. But uh, just going to throw out some information. You take it what you want. I'm going to give you my picks. So basically, just do the opposite of what I say, and you'll probably uh, win some money. But uh, that's what we'll get into. Let's jump into these questions. Of course, these people sent their questions to the Locked On Falcons Twitter handle, which is the quickest and fastest way to get your questions for future Q&As to me. Uh, the first two come from Scott Ramsey, at X X on Twitter. His first question is, how much cap space will we free up by cutting the following players? Alford, Schrader, Levitri, McLean, Reed, Shelby, Paulson, Fusco, Schaub, and Richards. I know most are free agents, but just curious. Then please add Beasley to it. All right. Well, you know, as you mentioned, Levitri, McLean, Shelby, Paulson, Schaub, and Richards are all free agents, unrestricted free agents. So you're not going to cut them. Their contracts already have expired technically. Uh, the other four guys that you mentioned, Alford, if the Falcons cut him, it's almost $8 million in savings, about 7.9, uh, with $1.2 million left over as dead money. 
Uh, Ryan Schrader is almost $4 million in cap savings, 3.95, with $3.8 million in, in dead money. Brooks Reed is $4.5 million in cap savings with $940,000 in dead money. And Brandon Fusco is $3.3 million in savings with $1.5 million in dead money. Uh, Vic Beasley is $12.81 million in saving with no dead money. You have to cut him before the league year starts, which is on March 13th this year. That's when free agency technically starts, although the tampering period you know, starts, like I think, on the 11th this year. But if Vic Beasley's on the Falcons roster at 4 p.m. on March 13th, or March 13th 2019, his $12.8 million salary becomes fully guaranteed. So you, you have to make a move before that point. Um, taking the four guys uh, that you mentioned, Alfred Schrader, Reed, and Fusco, take their combined cap savings. If they, all four of those guys were cut, that's almost $20 million in cap savings, 19.65, which you have to take on about $7.44 million in dead money. The interesting thing about Ryan Schrader is the dead money hit is $3.8 million, which may be prohibitive for the Falcons to take on. Typically, when guys have that type of dead money hit, they typically will do a post-June 1 cap cut, which means that you basically can cut the player now, and then on starting on June 2nd, you get the cap savings that you would get if you had waited till June to cut him. And, you know, I know some of you aren't necessarily familiar with sort of what, why it counts that. I'm not going to go into that today. But basically, if you cut a player between June 2nd and the end of the season, um, the money that counts towards dead money is lower than it would be if you cut a player between the start of the season, which, you know, or February, I guess, when you can technically start cutting guys, um, and June 1st. So in the case of Schrader, if he's a post-June 1 um, cut, the Falcons would save roughly $6.5 million against the cap this year and only take on $1.3 million in dead money with the remaining two point eight from uh, which would count towards their dead money cap in 2020. Um, the problem again is though, even though you get more savings, you don't get that savings until June 2nd. So basically to me, if the Falcons were going to do that, they would have to be really confident that the other cuts that they would potentially make Alford Reed, maybe Fosco and possibly Vic Beasley would be enough to cover whatever they want to do in free agency, which is possible. So we'll see. Uh, Scott's next question is, would you be upset if we drafted Noah Fant in round one instead of a lineman? He projects to be a Travis Kelsey-like threat. Would We could really, really use that. We'd, we falconed away a top pick, so realistically, who can we get in the mid-first round that would be better? Well, the second question, I don't know because it's it's early January and I haven't done enough draft homework to to be able to be like, oh, these are the best players. These are clearly the best players, and these are the ideal guys that we want to take with that 14th pick. Uh, and, you know, I, I might have an answer to that in late March or whatever, but uh, until then, I think, you know, I, I've only seen one game of Noah Fant, and I liked what I saw. Um, I, you know, he's pretty much the consensus number one tight end in this draft class as of right now. We'll see if that changes over the next couple of months. Um I, I get the, the Kelsey-like comparison. I think that's a fair, relatively fair comparison. Um, so I, I don't think it's not that he's not worth the 14th overall pick. I think the issue is if you're going to use that high a pick on a tight end and you already have Austin Hooper, who 
so far seems like he's probably going to earn a second contract with the Falcons, unless you're basically like we're drafting Noah Fant and we're not going to re-sign Austin Hooper when his contract expires, I think, next season, after next season. Or after this season, right? Yeah, he was a 16 draft pick, so after this season. The only way to justify, if you're not, if that's not the plan, the only way to justify drafting Noah Fant is if you're going to truly embrace the two tight end offense. And in this case, that means using two or three tight ends, um, you know, probably close to 40% or more of your snaps, which is not what the Falcons have done. Some teams do that. Philadelphia is a team that does that. I know Tampa Bay in 2017, when Dirk Cutter was calling the place, did utilize multiple tight ends that much with O.J. Howard and Cameron Brait. Um, so unless you're fully embracing the two tight end offense as sort of your base offense and then only on relatively rare occasions, which is has been the case since uh, Dan Quinn has been here, the Falcons use three wide receivers on like obvious like third third and longs and whatnot. Um, then like that to me is the only way to justify using a, a tight end that high because from what everything I hear and I haven't done enough studying, but this is a really deep tight end class, probably the deepest it's been in, in since the days of Gronk when Gronk and Jimmy Graham and and Gresham and and Tony Milwaukee and Aaron Hernandez all came in the same draft class back in 2010. Um, that's what I hear about this draft class, this tight end group. Um, so given that expectation, you can get a good, you, presumably you can get a good tight end in the second or third or fourth round this year. So unless you're really committing, so again, unless you're really committing to a two tight end offense as sort of the staple of your, of your offense, then it doesn't really make sense when you can still get a good tight end, a good second tight end, you know, later in the draft. That's my thought process. Um, our last question before we move on and talk playoffs is from Christian Farholt. Uh, could we ever see a real co-head coach situation in the NFL? Uh, ever? I mean, it's possible. I, you know, I don't think it's going to happen anytime soon. But, like, look, Donald Trump is the president. Not to make this political, but, like, at this point in time, Anything is possible. You told me, like, you know, World War III is going to break out in, in five years. I'd be like, eh, you know, I've heard crazier things. So, uh, I mean, like, sort of looking ahead beyond, you know, the next five or so years, eh, anything's possible. Like, you know, football could be very in a very weird place come 2036 or something like that. And, you know, there's, you know, some coach that's like, oh, we're going to be co-head coaches because I'm... Um, you know, you could have a Chuck Pagano-like situation, but instead of that coach stepping away to, to deal with their health, it's like, no, I'm still going to show up to work every week. I'll just take my chemo treatments in the training room or something. I don't know, something crazy like that. Again, I'm not saying this is likely, but I'm just sitting here saying, like, the idea of being a little bit more open-minded to the, the possibilities of crazy stuff happening, I, at least in the last couple of years, certain world events has caused me to have to be a little bit more open-minded about various things. So I think it's possible, unlikely, very unlikely, but like certainly, you know, you could paint a, a scenario where I'm like, oh, okay, like that's really weird. And I don't think it would be a, a normal thing, but yeah, it could happen. And, and then again, if you're, if you're expanding the horizon beyond like five to 10 years to like 50 to a hundred years, then yeah, like anything that's statistically possible, mathematically possible over that long 
uh, time span. Who knows if football's still going to be played? You know, they'll have cyborgs and whatnot, and you'll have a cyborg co-head coach and a human co-head coach or whatever until the cyborgs rise up and 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 destroy the human race or something like that. I don't know, guys. <laughs> All right, so we're going to move ahead and talk a little bit more grounded issues like the playoffs and whatnot. And uh, since we are going to be talking playoffs, it's time for you guys to get in on the action with my bookie. Don't be that guy this weekend that's sitting around mad, upset. You got no rooting interest. Your friends and family are sitting there cheering on whoever in these upcoming games. And you can now get that uh, rooting interest. You can get rid of those harsh feelings by going over and signing up at my bookie today. They pay fast when you win because they care about great customer service and they offer some of the best props out there. Remember, where you bet is just as important as who you're betting on. And if you want to make money this postseason, you got to go to my bookie. I trust them, but don't just take my word for it. Check them out for yourself if you haven't already. Join now. My bookie will offer you a 50% deposit bonus to make sure you have a nice bankroll. For the month of February, use the promo code LOCKEDON25 when you deposit to activate that offer. Again, that's promo code LOCKEDON25 at MyBookie. You play, you win, you get paid. So we're going to talk about these games in order. We're going to talk about the Saturday games, um, and then we'll talk about the Sunday games, leaving the best for last, Eagle Saints, which is I know is a game that everybody listening to this podcast has some rooting interest in. Um, but first, we'll talk about the Colts, Colts versus Chiefs. That's the early game on Saturday. Um, the you know since we're this is a my bookie sponsored podcast, we got to talk about some of the, the bets. The Chiefs are favored by five points currently on my bookie, and I can check that out with their great uh, mobile site. Uh, the over under right now is fifty seven point five points. Um, so I, I think what's interesting is you know the Colts have been on a hot streak over their last eleven games, winning ten of them, and over you know. Included in that is a their in their last five road games they've gone four and one um, on the road. I think against the spread. I'm sorry, and the Chiefs, however, have struggled to cover at home as of late because they haven't they failed to cover in four of their last five home games. So I think this is an interesting matchup. We we know the infamous or if you're a Colts fan, the famous comeback game where the Chiefs got up big a couple of years ago. And then Andrew Luck led them to like either the biggest or the second biggest comeback win in, in NFL history. Frank Reich, you know, did his thing back in the day. So, like, I you can never trust a Andy Reid coached playoff team. That's what that's the first thing I want to say. But I do think the Chiefs are the better team. Um, but it wouldn't totally shock me if the Colts upset this team. I've been doubting the Colts all year long. I you know this summer I infamously tweeted out got put on old takes exposed uh, shout out to them uh, that I thought the Colts were the front runner to be the number one pick this year. They did start off one in five this year. So that take didn't look crazy, at least in early October. And then they just went on that hot streak and, and basically have been un, un, almost undefeated since. Um, so I have been professionally uh, not putting enough confidence in the Colts and even bet money on the Texans last week, stupidly. And of course, they made me pay for that. So I, at no point in time am, am I going to be skeptical of the Colts. Uh, that being said, I probably will wind up taking the Chiefs to win, but I think the Colts will probably cover. 
And I think if you like the Colts to win in this game, then I think you should definitely take the under. If you like the Chiefs to win in this game, I think you probably should take the over. Because I think, you know, if you assume the Chiefs are going to lose this game, it's probably because their offense doesn't show up in the way that we've come to expect from them from and see from them most of the season. So I'm probably going to take the under, which is kind of telling you that I'm, I think the Chiefs will win, but I'm not super, super confident about that. So moving on to the Saturday night game, which is Cowboys at Rams. The Rams are favored currently at six and a half points as of this recording. The over-under in that game is 49 and a half points. Um, Dallas has covered four out of their last six road games. Meanwhile, the Rams have failed to cover in five out of their last uh, six uh, home games, um, which includes that push that they had against Kansas City and that barn burner, you know, almost two months ago. Um what is interesting is that they, these two teams faced each other last year. The Rams did beat the Cowboys in Dallas in a comeback win last year. So, you know, how you factor that into it. Um, I've sort of been waiting for Dallas to slip up because I have zero confidence in Jason Garrett. But this defense has been playing well. Dak has certainly been playing much better given the introduction of, of, of Amari Cooper to the offense. And I think you can expect Amari Cooper to have a, a big game because the Rams have had – Particular issues covering number one receivers this year because Marcus Peters hasn't had a great season. Akeem Talib has been in and out of the lineup. Um, you can also sort of expect that given that the Rams' run defense has not been particularly good this season, that Ezekiel Elliott will have a, a big night. So I do think Dallas, even though I have questions about their offense and its consistency, I do think there's a possibility that if the Rams come out flat in this game, that Dallas could could do enough, and particularly with the Cowboys defense playing as well as it has, um, that Dallas could score enough points to win this game. Normally, I would be like, "Oh, the Rams will just easily outscore the Cowboys, and the and Cowboys can't score more than twenty four points or something like that." But I like, who knows? Um, I think the other thing going in the Cowboys' favor as well is the fact that Zach Martin and Tyron Smith are healthy. When earlier in the week, it seemed like those guys might have been a little bit nicked up and obviously going up against Aaron Donald and company, you, you don't want to have particularly Martin. You don't want to have injuries on your offensive line uh, in this game. But all that being said, I, again, you could make a case for the Cowboys and I would make the case to take the Cowboys to cover that six and a half point spread. But I do think the Rams are going to win. Um, and I'd also probably take the over in this game. Cause I do think Dallas's offense will probably do better against the Rams defense than expected. And I, and, and I think the Rams offense, while I don't expect them to drop like 40 on the Cowboys, I do think they'll have a reasonably good game. So uh, this will just be an interesting game, I think. You know, something like a, a 28-24 type of win for the Rams or something like that. Um, and, you know, you get the theme in this. And, and before we get to uh, Sunday's games, the interesting thing is to me is like I look at all these games and I, you know, typically in the divisional round, and I should have said this before we got into it, but typically in the divisional round, the home teams and the favorite teams tend to win. Um, that has been the case over the last five years. I think I saw a stat where it's like um, in the divisional round plus the, the NFC championship game or the conference championship game, the home team is 25 and five. Um, and so I think ten, there's a t- tendency to, to take the favorites in this round. And those are the safer, smarter bets, at least over the last couple of years. But these spreads for all these games, the Sunday games including, I think are kind of big. The two Saturday games, you're both basically you're hoping the Rams and Chiefs are going to win by a touchdown, which I understand because those offenses have been two of the best in the league. 
um, to think that they can do that. But I just, you know, these teams are here for a reason, Dallas and Indianapolis. And I just think expecting them to get the, the doors blown off of them, I think is a little bit questionable. So in all these games, I feel like taking the favorite to win, but probably take the underdog to cover in a lot of these games. But, you know, as I mentioned earlier, that given my betting history, that might be bad advice. But uh, given my betting history, we'll talk about the Sunday games and, and get my thoughts on some of those matchups. Um, and before we do, I, I mentioned them. Um, we, we talked earlier about the draft. And uh, if you guys want to get thoughts you know, about who's the best tight end or how deep this tight end class is, you can do so by checking out uh, the two draft-related podcasts on the Lockdown Podcast Network. That is the first one being Locked On NFL Draft Podcast with hosts John Ledger and Trevor Sickman. And the second one being the Draft Dudes Podcast with hosts Joe Marino and Kyle Krabs. You can find them wherever you get your Locked On Podcasts as well as at thedraftnetwork.com. And uh, you can find those guys, written content, as well as that of many, many others, uh, your team every day. So let's talk about the Sunday games, which are the, the real interesting games, particularly the later game. Uh, but the first one up, you know, is the Chargers at the Patriots. The Patriots are favored by four. The over-under in this game is 47 and a half. Uh, this is Rivers versus Brady. Now, what's interesting is that in the times dating all the way back to 2006, six or seven, um, where Rivers has been the starting quarterback and Brady has been the starting quarterback. Yeah, 2006, I guess it would be, because uh, that's when Rivers became a starter. Um, the Patriots and, and Chargers have faced off seven times, and the Patriots have won all seven of them. The two times the Chargers have beaten the Patriots since Phillip Rivers entered the league um, back in 2004 was in 05 when Breeze was still the starter there in, in, in San Diego. I can actually say that right and get that correct. And in 2008 when Matt Castle was starting for an injured Tom Brady. Um, and what's interesting is in those seven wins that the Patriots have had, in that span, they've covered six of those times. Um, what's interesting about this game is the Chargers are undefeated outside the state of California this year. Their only road loss this season came in L.A. against the Rams. Um, they did win a quote-unquote home game against Tennessee in London. And, uh, you know, that's 8-0, basically. Uh, they covered in seven out of those eight games, with the London game being the only one that they didn't cover. Uh, so... A lot of people are looking at this particular matchup as the one that is most likely to be an upset just because I think a lot of people are basically like, oh, the Patriots are dead. And based off of, you know, I haven't watched a ton of Patriots football, but based off of everything I'm hearing, that isn't crazy talk. Um, But it is one of those things where I'm at a point where it's like, even though the Patriots may be, this dynasty may be over and this year may be the year, I got to believe it when I see it because we... You know, again, the Chargers never beat the Patriots, as I mentioned earlier. Um, The Patriots haven't lost a divisional round game since 2010. That's seven in a row. Um, So it's one of those things where it's like, I don't know, man. Like, it's it's very questionable to me. So it's basically like, you know, one of these streaks is going to come to end. Either the Patriots are going to lose their eighth, you know, the eighth time out they're going to lose their divisional game. Or the Chargers are going to lose a game outside the state of California this year. So who, which one do you think is going to happen? I don't know. Um, so I'm, I'm going to go with the Patriots winning. 
I'm going to take the Patriots to cover, and I'm probably going to take the under as well. So that's where I'm going on this one. Now we get to the game that everybody's, everybody cares about. Because if you're a Falcon fan, the number one thing you wanted to happen this year was the Falcons winning a Super Bowl in their home stadium, correct? And the w- number one thing you didn't want to happen this year is the Saints winning the Super Bowl in the Falcons' home stadium. So I think, you know, for some reason there's a lot of Falcon fans that still have a beef against the Eagles because of last year or for whatever reason they hate the Eagles. You know, if you hate the Eagles, that's fine. I hate the Giants, so you know, to each their own. But I, I think you got, you, you, you got to be like the lesser of two evils is the Eagles winning this game, correct? And let's let's keep the, the magic of Nick Foles. Let's see if he can do it two years in a row. Like, if you know what I'm saying? Like, if, if you don't have a rooting interest, like, is Nick Foles the greatest postseason quarterback of all time? <laughs> like, is that a, that's a ridiculous statement, right? But if they beat the Saints, like... Like, it's kind of like, oh, this is not crazy, is it? So, you know, we saw earlier this season, and what's interesting about this matchup is the Eagles played the Saints in New Orleans earlier this season, and the Saints destroyed them. It was like, what, 48-7? to It was like week 11. And basically, since that game, the this Eagles season has turned around, because I think they've won like five out of six or something like that, and the Saints season has gone downhill because I think they've only won they they've they've won most of their games or no I think they've won about they've gone like three and three or something ridiculous since then they, they beat the Falcons and they beat some other teams but they've been struggling um, you know I think you know, the Eagles have three straight road wins they've covered in all of them um, the Saints have gone um, you know no the, the Eagles since the Saints game I'm looking at my notes and and being very confused by them need to learn to write legibly the the eagles since that saints game have gone five and two against the spread uh the saints are two and four against the spread since that eagles game um i saw a stat from uh jimmy kimsky who writes for the philly voice uh and this is something that i've always thought of too i just didn't know the exact stats behind it but when you have a number one seed that sits their starters in week 17 which the saints did that typically is a team that loses i know that was a in my opinion, that was the thing that tanked the, the Colts in the postseason so many times in the in the Peyton Manning era because they would always like sit their guys and start Jim Sorgi, Sorgi in Week 17, and then Peyton Manning would be cold when they get the bye week and they would lose and they'd be one and done or whatever. Um, but the stat from Jimmy Kimsky was that number one seeds that sit their starters in Week 17 um, have gone four and six, and team number one seeds that have played their starters. Um, I, over a certain amount of time period, I can't remember how long it was, the article mentioned, have gone 10 and 2 in that same time period. Now, notably, the Eagles did this last season, pulled their starters after like a quarter in week 17, beat the Falcons in the divisional round, and went on to win the Super Bowl. And there's the Saints also did this back in 2009 when they won the Super Bowl as well. So it's not as if like this is a hard, fast rule, but if you're you know, as you, many of you probably are, you're holding on to this hope that the Saints lose. That is something at least that you can sink your teeth into a little bit, as well as sort of the Eagles going up and the Saints trending down uh, throughout the last latter part of the season and then to sort of double their chances uh, of losing potentially by sitting their starters. Um, you know, that, that may bode well for you. So that's going to be interesting. I, I think this is going to be... A, a very interesting game, and obviously the one that we're all focused on. 
yeah, we'll just see sort of how long this Nick Foles magic can can last. And I and I know for me, I'm taking the Eagles to win. I'm taking the Eagles to cover. And I I'm undecided about whether I'll go over and under yet. I feel like I should go over because I think if the Eagles are going to win, they're going to probably put 28 points up, which probably and the Saints are probably going to put more than 23. Oh yeah, did I mention that the over under is 51? And the Saints are favored by seven and a half points. Uh, if I didn't, I apologize. But uh, yeah, so look, probably you could make a, a strong case that, look, the Saints are going to take care of business. And if I'm thinking with my head, you're probably right. But I don't want to be sitting there on Sunday afternoon rooting for the Saints. I want to be rooting against the Saints. So I'm going to put some money on the Eagles to even make that thing even more worthwhile. And I suggest you guys do the same thing by doing what I told you to do earlier. Signing up at my bookie. Um, there you have it, guys. That is today's episode. Again, we'll be back next week to talk more dirt cutter, talk more Falcons and whatnot. Uh, but you know, the, the playoffs are a great time for if you're a football fan because you know these are this is what you know these teams that we're the, um, that we're going to be watching this weekend, and these games that we're going to be watching this weekend are going to be what we aspire to the Falcons to be next year. Right? Whether they're the team getting the bye or they're the team that won the the wild card round and is playing the team on the road, we're hoping to see, you know, that caliber of a Falcon team that we can go into these second week uh, games, second round games, and feel like we're the Eagles, like we're this really hot team that got hot down the stretch and now we're unbeatable and you don't want to be the team facing us, or you want to be, I don't know in, I guess, the Rams or Chiefs position where you're the unstoppable offensive juggernaut or defensive juggernaut, if it, if it you know, whatever juggernaut, um, and, and just basically, like, you're just going to take care of business. You know, the other team might do a little bit of damage, but, yeah, you'll take care of it. You're, you're going to be just fine. So, uh, for me, that's what I'm going with. You know, the Eagles are going to be my one pick for the upset this weekend. I think you got to pick one upset and and go favorites with the other three. Um, but, I, you know, you could convince me any one of these games could be an upset. I think I would be the most skeptical of the Cowboys winning their game, but, like, I don't sit here, and as I mentioned earlier, I don't sit here and think the Cowboys got no shot. They, got, they definitely got a shot, so um, we'll see what happens. Now, all that being said, of course, the Saints are going to put, you know, stomp the Eagles or whatever, and then, you know, they're going to win that game like 51-16 to 16 or something like that. And then I'll just be sitting here just like, oh, thank God I took the over or something like that. So, <laughs> but, you know, we'll see how it goes. Um, there you have it, guys. Uh, for future Q&As, if you want to send in your questions, of course, send it over to Locked on Falcons. That's the Twitter handle. Uh, Locked on Falcons is the Facebook page. The email address is LockedOnFalcons at mail.com. Of course, you can leave a comment at Falcons.com uh, where the podcast is posted in. So see you guys Monday. Until then. You are Locked On Falcons, your daily podcast on the Atlanta Falcons, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.